Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Kellyer, but today I'm not actually the host, and today's episode is a little different to the norm. Today, Matt and I answered the questions. Yes, the shoe was on the other foot for a change, as we were quizzed by Dwayne Cox about all things change management. This episode is part of a larger brand partnership we have with Schoolbox, and we are thankful for them in supporting our journey. If your existing LMS is a little tired, then check them out at schoolbox.com.au. So without further ado, let's get to it. Before we get to today's show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Veracross. With a single record database and the strongest API in the industry, Veracross is the leading SIS provider for private and independent schools, and it's now available in Australia. Support us by supporting them. So visit veracross.com backslash edleaders to learn more. Now let's get to today's show. Welcome Luke and Matt from Ed Leaders. Uh, we're not going to do much of an introduction. We're going to jump in and chat about change. So welcome boys to the, the conversation. Glad to be here. Yeah, looking forward to it. Fantastic. Look, obviously the reason why, and, and I know this is a bit of a flip for you guys. Typically you're on the other end of these questions. So, you know, just going to change it up a little, but... It's good. It's exciting. I, I suppose the, the key topic here is to reflect on change. Both of you have been in leadership roles within schools. You've been in education for probably longer than you're willing to admit. If you were to have a, a sense and reflect back, what are those things that you would have changed? What are those things that, that were there? One of the first questions that I often sort of ask people when looking at this is going, thinking back to a change that you're a part of as a teacher um, thinking back to one of those moments where there was a guttural reaction, there was a physical reaction to what was proposed or what was in place. What was that feeling? What was it that triggered you in, in that conversation, Matt? It's a really interesting one because often um, sort of change or the announcement of a change in a school is, is, is one of trepidation and um, you know there's there's often a response from our teachers and leaders oh here we go again uh, another change it'll last it'll last a year and so my my level of engagement and motivation is going to be 10 percent um, before we get on to the next thing and so certainly experiences I've had with large change projects has often been met with that you know with that front facing wall staff put the wall up and say oh uh, yeah good luck and uh, bring it on well of course I see it as an, a, a great challenge so I love it when the wall goes up but it, I think it's res- reflective too of culturally what's happening in your school at that time so if they've experienced a lot of failed change and like oh it's going to be around for a year um their response is 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 going to be obvious uh to you the other thing that that i would say is that in responding if there is a culture of collaboration and and vulnerability of risk-taking and prototyping your your readiness for the change is so much better but if there has been a culture of lack of trust and a lack of collaborative safety, if you like, uh, then you're going you're gonna to hit some brick walls that you're going to have to spend some time sort of shaping. And that cultural element of change is not something we spend a lot of time on because we're so fixated on the innovation itself. We want to get after the work and we want to do it sort of quickly. We'll gather up the, our champions, we'll throw them together and we'll get cracking. So I think when I sort of reflect on change, things that haven't worked is when we haven't stopped, paused and reflected on where we are culturally and understood where our people are. And the greatest successes I've seen in change have also come from knowing what that readiness is and harnessing that readiness, that those cultures of safety and collaboration um, to bring about the change. So that's kind of probably where I would start the conversation, I guess, around successful change, but also unsuccessful change. 
And Luke, you know, when you when you're thinking back, and for, oh, sorry, no, I was going to say, and for me, I'd probably, you know, to go back to a little bit around your question, and you hear about a change that's coming. I think for me, that guttural response has been that anxiousness of like the unknown, you know, about what's ahead. Probably a little bit of tightness across, you know, my shoulders, my back. It's like, oh, you know, like what's going to happen here and and I think somewhat for me that depends on how quickly the change is coming is this change coming next week or is it coming in a year's time and I think if it's coming in a year's time that subsides pretty quickly but I think for people that are that are thinking oh, oh this change is coming this is a staff day on a Monday and this change is happening tomorrow and I don't know what I'm doing then it's really challenging and difficult and I think sometimes as leaders you know to add to Matt's point sometimes as leaders we we go on a journey about change, about implementing change, and have talked about uh, the change that's coming for maybe 6, 12, 18 months. You know, like in a case like bringing in Schoolbox, the, the change management team or the project management team before that, we were talking about the implementation for 6, 12 months beforehand. If you then come and land it and people have a week who have not been on that journey for 12 months, it's a really sudden change. It doesn't feel like a sudden change to us as the change management team, but it does feel like a very sudden change, very quick change without a lot of notice if you're doing it very quickly. And I might just add one more point on there, and it kind of connects both that guttural response, sort of safety, and and I guess the speed of change. And it's something I've been working with some leaders this last week on, is this notion um, of fear. So we talk about fear in the, the unknown. And that's where if you, you're fearful of something, you don't feel safe. And more importantly, conceptually, you don't see yourself in the change. You see yourself outside of the change. And that's not that's actually a lonely place to be. So I've, I've kind of reimagined, I guess, how some teachers or some leaders might feel on the other side of the boardroom table when they're being told about a change. Because if you can't see yourself in it, your, your response is going to be one of you know, being ostracized in some ways. You, fear, you don't feel safe. What does this mean for me? What does it look like for me in my classroom? And if those things aren't being explained to you, that level of anxiety just rises and rises. So I think it's an interesting thing to reflect on. I'd probably add to that as well and just say that I think sometimes that fear comes from that kind of insecurity of maybe not feeling capable, you know, in what the change, what I might be required to do in the change. So like that fear of like, I don't know that I'm actually going to be able to do this. No one's taught me how to do this. Like, this is very different from what I'm used to. How quickly can I actually learn these new skills? And I think sometimes people, the fear of not feeling like they're not capable or they're going to fail in being able to do something, especially when it comes to technology, because it's new and it's different, um, that people really, you know, can struggle with that, um, that little kind of insecurity that we all have when we're asked to do something in a new way or, you know, that. You know, it seems so easy for that person up there demonstrating this, but, you know, like I didn't keep up, you know, like I didn't remember what he said. This is not being recorded. Like I can't go back and watch this. What what button did he press? Uh, what button did she press? You know, it uh, can be quite, you know, confronting for people sometimes. So when you think about, you know, that concern of self, I don't know how I'm going to work on this or how this is going to impact me or, you know, what can you do in that thought process, in that lead up to help people understand that yes this is about you but help them move past that concern of self how do you structure your approach or structure your thinking to minimize that impact of the the giant brick wall that gets thrown in front of you well my i guess my first response is that as as a leader as you you're sort of shaping change it's your job to help people join the dots you've already joined them 
your executive team have already joined them, but they haven't joined the dots yet. And so that's giving them a sense of, okay, well, what's the big picture here? What's the great impact that we're going to have by making this change take place? What's the big game here? And, and, and for me, you know, it is, it's about better outcomes for kids. So I think you, you've got to ground it pretty quickly into their core business. So I think that's sort of sort of one thing. I guess also joining the dots for me is also starting to show them small, tangible, but impactful um, things that are going to make their life better. You know, so we look at things like, um, I'm just sort of thinking, Luke, back to when we first started Schoolbox. You know, we had a really cumbersome way of, of taking attendance, for instance. And we said, Schoolbox can do it like this, and this is how easy it is. And we did a whole session just on that little thing, we did a micro episode and all of a sudden staff went, oh, geez, that would be heaps better for me. Oh, that's an efficiency. Oh, okay. And then we started the conversation. So we may have given them the big piece, but we joined a dot very quickly and grounded in them. It wasn't about us. It was about them and how um, this, this piece of tech would make their lives better. But drawing that contrast to what they have now, how is this better? Why is this better? And let's all have a go together. So I think being the chief joiners of dots is is sort of critical. Um, Luke will have other things to say, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I would probably add, you know, to your point there, Matt, around the why. Like, why are we doing this? Like, being really cl- crystal clear as to what why we're doing this and what we're trying to achieve, either you know, in the next term or in the next eighteen months. And I think what comes with that is a a really uh, thought out, planned journey. So that people can see, ah, oh, you know, in this term we're going to do this. In term two, we're going to do this. In term three, we're going to do this. In term four, we're going to do this. So that it breaks up the journey into smaller, more bite-sized chunks, and it's not so overwhelming uh, for people. And it becomes a bit of a journey. And it, and when they can see that journey ahead, perhaps it takes some of that anxiety away because they can see that, oh, this is just baby steps towards the bigger picture here. The other two bits I'd probably add to that to kind of alleviate some of that, I think, anxiety around change is the notion of we're here to support you. We're here to help you. We've got you. Like, you know, like we've got to, you know, whether it's a a 24-7 help desk or come up to the help desk anytime, any lesson, someone will be there to help when you need it. We'll be walking around in the first few days, you know, we'll be in and out of your classrooms. If you've got any issues, just yell out as I'm walking past that you're very visible like early in the change management process so that people have got that sense that, oh, I can I can turn up anytime and you can help me. That's great. You know, like, oh, you know, every Monday we're going to be running this. I can come and do this and get a little bit of extra support for people that are like me, you know, so that there's this notion of you're not let just let go to the wolves that we're here and that we'll actually support you on the journey, not just, you know, here's here's the new software platform. It's a go for broke tomorrow and no one's around to ask a question to. And I might just sort of just round that out too, Luke. I think it's also interesting to reflect on those milestones as you go along that there are times in the architecture of a build of a project that you actually give away the milestone to the staff to help design. So the use of design teams to focus in on a very specific targeted piece of the change, um, you know, indicating that actually you don't you don't have it on you don't have all the knowledge in the world, but actually we're going to do this better together. And we do that better together when people are on board and are help designing solutions. And so as we develop that project, where are there some key milestones where that teacher engagement, that teacher as designer and teams um, as leaders um, can be utilized? Because I think that also then, you know, really um, transforms, I guess, the overall change project and moves it forward more quickly. 
So if you think about, and you know, you, uh, as I said before, you guys have had experience and have gone down this journey. And if we were to, to be talking to a school that this is the first time where they're entering into this world of, of large technological change or, you know, a large pedagogical shift that that's in play, you know, what is one of the, the mistakes that, you know, you made early on in, in your, you know, you translated a model, you had this all right, you've walked in the door and discovered within the first week that, oh crap, I completely forgot this thing. What would be that that one thing that you've learned over that time that you want to help others understand now before they jump into this journey and jump into this this big change? I mean, I'd probably say there that you got to do what you say you're going to do. You know, that notion of if we say we're going to do this, then we've got to do it. We've got to deliver here. And I think that, you know, the traps people fall into is saying that, oh, we're going to do X, Y, Z, and then they do A, B, C. And that can pretty quickly erode the trust of your team and your staff. And I think that can be a really difficult situation once that happens more than once, uh, you know, for, for a culture of a, for, for an organization. And the other bit that I'd probably add for that as well is the notion that trying to honor work that people have previously done. Um, you know, if people have been down a, a part way down a change management process and they've done a bunch of work or they've in the last couple of years, they've had a couple of other changes where they've been expected to do this piece of work and that piece of work, that if you can honor some of that work that's previously been done so that people are not replicating something that they just did a year ago in a different platform or, you know, having to copy and paste it to a this because this is the new flavor of the month. If you can honor that work and do that work for them and 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 show them that that you're actually honoring work that they've done previously, I think you get a lot more buy-in to your, to your process. I guess joining the, going back to that concept of joining the dots, and as Luke has sort of described, is is that notion of honouring. Um, and I often talk about the notion that you have assets that already exist in your organisation, and their teachers are assets, the resources they've already developed are assets, etc. And you're leveraging those. And but I think that the word honouring really, for me, rings true in in things that I guess we've sort of learnt when when you're not doing that element and you're not recognising the assets that already exist in your organisation, and you just sort of bypass it completely and you don't even acknowledge the work that it's preceded. Um, you'll lose people pretty quickly. So I think um, that point Luke's made is really, really important. The the other thing that I would say that I have learned when things have gone wrong, um, and it's something that, you know, certainly Luke and I have spent a long time sort of trying to craft in our own practice. Um, and it's really just a, you know, we've copied it, obviously, Clayton Christensen's notion of jobs to be done. If you go into a change process not understanding the problem you're trying to address, if you don't understand the context or the need for that problem, you're going backwards before you start. And I don't feel like, Luke, I mean, I don't know if I'm overstating it, but for me, it's probably the biggest thing I've learned from stuffing up projects. Going to a room, just assuming everyone knows the problem um, or there is there no problem and I'm just changing stuff for change's sake. But being really clear of the job to be done and understand that the job to be done may not be my job, it actually might be the organisation's or vice versa. And being able to articulate that very clearly why is it a problem and why does it need addressing it and why does it need to be done this way? I love that. Um, and so, you know, at the any, any start of any new project, spending some time in developing insights, well, we'll try to hone, really try to spend time honing down what the problem is. What is the job to be done here? Because that grounds your project and will ground in the work that you do coming out of that in terms of the way you plan your project, the people that you bring on, the resources you invest. So yeah, know your problem and know what you're addressing and why you're addressing it. And look, that, that notion of, of knowing the problem, shared vision is, you know, one of the fundamentals that 
I think most people get lost in. You start down this notion where we know the problem, you get six months down that idea of of designing a solution for the problem, and then you've forgotten what the problem was. Um, <laughs> so it's it's often interesting as you unpack and you go back, oh, wait, what were we trying to solve? We've moved, and, and Luke, you were talking about, you know, you've said you're going to deliver A, B, and C, but now you're at, you know, E, F, and G um, that, that's sitting there. Yeah. If you think about that change and you, you think about in the context goals with everything's going on, do you think that that we adequately plan for the change? And what I mean is that we actually clearly articulate and think about the milestones and think about the impact of what's there, or are we just flying by the seat of our pants, hitting that, you know, just hitting the next signpost when we can and then missing aspects of, of what's happening over time? Well, my gut feeling... I would say... You go, you go Luke. <laughs> No, you go, Matt. Well, I guess my gut feeling is that we don't. Um, I think in schools we're so fixated on the innovation, the doing, the 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 um, the project, if you like, that we don't do some of the pre work well. And I think we've just sort of been describing that pre work of developing insights. But the game plan for something requires significant amount of design, so it requires significant amount of time spent on ideating, prototyping, and evaluating. And um, we don't spend a lot of time in that at schools because it's actually not the space to do it. Um, you know, running a school is hard work, um, and we don't create deliberate segments of time and space to do the thinking to develop those game plans of milestones that are you know full of big rocks, but also small little rocks of of actions. And so my challenge always to to schools is, well, how are you deliberately providing space? to do the design work so that you can, you know, get to that outcome that you seek. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is don't think that innovation is the big piece here. That's actually just the doing work. The, the innovation is 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 like a, an endpoint, if you like, in, it, in itself. It's not the whole piece. Um, so for me, those two things uh, are really, really important. Creating time, being deliberate about the design phase, developing your game plan, and, and also understanding that the, the innovation, this shiny bit, bit of blue paper, as someone describes to me that you're chasing, is not the be-all and end-all. Luke? For me, I'd probably come at it from a little bit of a different point of view and you know, this is probably something, you know, that I obviously experienced because I was part of this process. But I don't, I think this, the thing that schools get wrong sometimes when it comes to, you know, big change management programs or processes like a bringing in a new technology like, you know, a school box is that they don't actually allocate enough human capacity or human resource capital with the appropriate project management skills for delivering it. And I think... You know, if you if you expect a director of teaching and learning who's already only maybe on a I don't know maybe a point six release from from teaching, and then in that point six you're adding in actually trying to manage you know a change management process for fifteen hundred kids and three thousand parents and two hundred fifty staff, that's a big change management process. And and to Matt's point, the amount of thinking that needs to go into that, but also the amount of communication that needs to go into that the amount of you know actual conversations that need to go into that the amount of kind of pre-work in terms of different meetings whether that's you know the 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 tech team or whether that's the actual teaching team or whether that's the the comms team and the marketing team or whether that's the leadership team like there's a there's many angles that you're trying to bring together as a project manager you know in a big rollout um, such as a platform like schoolbox and if you're trying to squeeze that into someone's existing role and not providing the the re- the appropriate resource with someone that actually has some skills in that area who's done some projects before then i think you're setting yourself up for for some discomfort later in the process and i think just adding on to that i couldn't agree more 
Luke. Just couldn't agree more, particularly in a school context. One of the things that we've adopted, though, is that notion, too, of the importance of a project sponsor. So often we'll, we'll allocate a project manager as the you know, project owner and sort of away they go and they're kind of left to their own devices. But actually the importance of a project sponsor being a higher person up in the organization or an executive team or a board who's actually enabling from the top down um, that project manager to get after it, to have the resources they need to do the job and to have the team around them to do that job. So that's something that Luke and I have sort of adopted in the context of large change is to be clear about what's what's the architecture of support in and around that to ensure we're all on the same page and we're all moving together with the right support. If you love what we do here at Ed Leaders, then please support us by supporting our sponsors. And today's episode sponsor is Veracross. Is your school ready for the modern age? Well, we've got good news for you. Veracross, the leading CIS provider for private and independent schools, is now available in Australia. Trusted by hundreds of schools in more than 30 countries around the world, Veracross is the only 100% cloud-based single record database built exclusively for private and independent schools. It's one system for your entire school. Integrations with popular edtech solutions like Schoolbox, Pixevity and Digistorm enable seamless workflows and easy to access information. Plus, their in-country data center improves network speed and privacy so you can rest easy knowing your school's data is secure and protected with Veracross. Make 2023 the year your school moves to the cloud. To learn more about Veracross, visit veracross.com backslash edleaders. That's V-E-R-A-C-R-O-S-S dot com backslash edleaders. And it would mean the world to us if you or your school's director of IT check them out. Now back to today's show. It's an interesting idea of, of resourcing the change. You know, one of the, the things that we've experienced for a long period of time is that, that schools often struggle with that often struggle with resourcing the change both initially, but I suppose extending upon that, and I want to ask both of you and, and Luke starting with you, is going, it's all good and well to resource the initial change, but you know, how long do you need to resource and think about that resourcing to embed that culture of change and embed what's taking place? Well, I I love this saying that I I, I coined, I think. The school box journey never ends uh, in terms of the resource that you need with with most software platforms is that there's always change happening within the platform. And so if it's a, a one and done change, who's going to own the updates as the journey goes on? Because there's always new features coming out. There's always slight changes. There's always tweaks. And so on a regular basis, you know, you know, whether that's twice, once, three times a year, you need that kind of that still to have that change management process when all of a sudden you go from doing it kind of maybe this way, you know, on an older version to now we're swapping to this version and we're going to do it this way. Or now you can do this when you're doing a pastoral record or you need someone to continually be coming back to how can we be doing things better a year, two years, three years, four years down the track so that the, you know, the platform doesn't just stay how it was the day it was implemented. And I think, again, that notion of um, essentially 24-7 support you know, I'm not saying it's 24-7, but 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. daily that people can get to walk up to a help desk, get support for whatever that question is about, whether that's a new feature or something that they haven't actually ever tried before. And, and that can be, you know, in things like Microsoft Office 
you know, functionalities, or it can be in platforms like like Schoolbox, that notion of someone there when I need help. And, and I think that's quite different. It's not necessarily the same skill set as the traditional IT team. My laptop's not working. Can you help me fix it? Um, or have you tried turning it on and off? That's a different skill set with the hardware and the infrastructure in a, in a big school environment to what I might call the digital services team where they're actually there and they understand the mentality of the teacher. They understand the mentality of what the teacher's trying to achieve and therefore how they can best help them. And I think that's a slightly different skill set to what a traditional IT support person might have. So I would, I would probably, I totally agree um, with what Luke said, and I'll probably zoom out for a bit. One of the, the things I spend a lot of time on is organizational design and working out what resources we need when. And I think they're kind of four distinct phases. You know, in a design phase, you need that pro- project manager and, and, and um, to be all guns blazing. You move then to implementation and you need a new set of resources as you implement something. And then you move to a stage of embedment and you need a new set of resources to support that. Um, and then you move into your next phase, which is one of evaluation and improvement. Well, we need a next the next set of you know iteration of resources. So I think a different stage through your journey, you need different resources for different reasons. And and you know I, I love the way Luke just sort of described you know the, the school books school box journey's never never finished. And you know it it. it it fluctuates between embedding and evaluating and it moves constantly between that once you've got it on the ground and you know how many new staff started a school every year you know you've let's say you've got eight to ten percent turnover you've got new people coming in your organization we have a practice around school box they're going to need some capacity building right so as part of your continual um, attention on embedment you need um, that 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 level of support um, I think the evaluation thing is interesting because while the while the whole ship's going um, you actually need to start employing people to the go okay let's step back what improvements can we make what what auditing of content needs to happen what new restructures you know the school's now three five years into their school box journey do we need to be thinking differently about how we're using the platform etc we're not great at that at schools and not recognizing that that's a piece of work in itself so you know I, as i said i take i talk about those kind of four different um stages if you like of change that requires different types of resourcings for different reasons i think i'd just add to that about the evaluation part is again something that we that we don't do that well and i'm agreeing with you matt is that we don't look at all the software platforms that we have um you know and on a regular basis you know maybe that's every five to seven years be looking and going is it still serving the needs that we that we have in today's you know modern culture and a reason you know the reasons that you might have chosen a platform or a software package you know 7 10 15 years ago may not now meet the needs of your constituents and and I go back to that kind of notion of jobs to be done and you know like if you think about it from a parent's job to be done what are they trying to achieve from a from a platform like a, an LMS well, they want to know what's going on for their kid do they want 28 emails a day probably not would they like you know one notification with everything you know linked in it well that would be a lot better outcome for most parents and i think again like understanding that we can kind of go back look at the platforms that we have on a regular basis and kind of go are they fit for purpose and if they're not what are we going to do about it but also now do we have three three sets of platforms that are doing the same thing and something that schools have notoriously done bad and you know both both of our schools are in this boat Matt that um you keep adding software platforms in you know and it's another 10 or it's another 20 grand every other year but we don't take things out you know in the in the last six or seven years at, at you know at our school we probably took one platform out I think Matt Maybe. But every time you're adding in a 15 or 20 grand platform, you know, after five years, that's a FTE that you've just 
chomped up. And so how do we think about that more broadly and making sure that what we've, the, the, the suite of platforms or the, the software stack that we have is um, as lean as it can be, but delivering as much as it can possibly deliver for the jobs that we have to be done for different constituents. Yeah, I, I think that, especially in technology, that evolution of everyone now running 150 different systems and, and the evolution of, of, yes, we had this idea, this strategic direction or intent when we started, we've now got 500 different things solving the same problem. Um, and that notion of reflecting on the change, not just the change on the, the process of what's there, but the change on these were our strategies. Did we meet our actual strategies, our intent and our approach is something that you know, often we forget about, we do something, we go, cool, that's done. And we move on and we've got something else that's there. So one of the questions that I pose and, and, you know, being leaders, looking at the change, looking at the approach and Matt, you refer a lot back to project management. Um, and Luke, you spoke about that, you know, you've got your goals, you've got your processes. How do you add agility into your project? How do you add that ability to change in organizations? And, you know, with tech companies, we talk about agile men mentality. We talk about delivering the, the minimum viable product and then evolving from there to allow that iterative process. How do you do that in schools? And, and what's, what are some of those tools that you can do to support that? Hmm. Good question. I like it. Um, look, I, I probably mentioned it to a, to a degree, but I think the thing, um, you know, to, to remain agile and to be able to pivot very quickly is to hold things uh, lightly. And you can only hold things lightly if you have that culture of risk-taking and, and prototyping. And so for me, as, as we sort of roll out projects, that there's a deliberate time with a design team that we are prototyping, we're collecting evidence, what's working, let's take this into this one classroom, let's go and take this down into a sub-school, let's go and meet with a bunch of staff and explore, let's go and meet with some other schools. And so I think you need to be in the process of continually gathering evidence with the view that you need to remain agile to what comes out of that evidence or that you know that collection of, of ideas, um, and so I, yeah, as I said, I'm a real real fan for for prototyping, but also you know letting everyone know we're prototyping doesn't mean that's what we're going to do. We are trying to find the best solution that meets our our um, our purpose. So I think you know for me, as I said, it's it is is about that that space of, of gathering evidence, and in in doing that, you're also building people's capacity. Because they see things and they go, oh, geez, we didn't know it did that. Oh, can we do this? Yeah, you can because we haven't locked it down. We haven't lost sight of the job to be done, though, in the process. You've got to be anchored and you've got to keep fidelity with, with that, that, that strategy um, and that job to be done. How you get there and how you go about it is up for grabs. And so being clear at the, the front end of a project that we're going to be on this journey together. We have an outcome uh, and we believe to be a real impactful outcome and job to be done. But how we get there is going to be one of exploration. You're going to have to have an open mind. You're going to have to be curious. You're going to have to be in the business of taking some risks and you're going to have to be in the business of gathering evidence so that we know what best practice is. So I guess that would be, I guess, some of the foundations of 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 maybe rhetoric, <laughs> but also like the strong narrative, but I think you can actually action it um, and demonstrate how you can live that so that you can remain agile while maintaining that fidelity with that job to be done. I think for me, it probably depends on the, the definition of what we talk about as agility in a school. Um, you know, if I think back to, you know, you know, the classic case of COVID, you know, how agile schools were within a within a three month window um, to go from probably you know 
one person out of 250 knowing how to do a Zoom or a WebEx or a Teams call uh, to 250 out of 250 people knowing how to, to do that within a within a one-month window, essentially. Like, to me, that was a really uh, a classic case of being a school being agile. But in many cases, like, when you have a big ship like a school community, it's not that easy to remain agile, but nor should it be necessarily. We shouldn't necessarily be having to make changes in a month's time with little notice very often. And I think if you are trying to do that, you would get change fatigue in a school environment quite quickly. And I think the challenges when it comes to a school community and big schools particularly is that the departments are disparate. You know, they're spread out in a school. It's very rare that you've got all of your, you know, your staff together um, and you might have, you know, your four four or five staff days a year. Uh, you might have a couple of you know staff meetings throughout you know a, a term, but it's not often that you're together. And in a truly agile environment, such as like a tech startup, when you're all in an open plan work environment, it might be a lot easier to be agile by the traditional sense of the word, where you can see a change and you make the change tomorrow. And I think that that notion of being able to do that in a school is quite challenging. But I think that's a different conversation to saying we can remain agile and when, you know, new ways of doing things are are, are available, that we're open to it. And I think that goes to, to Matt's points around then you can kind of have the right processes and mechanisms in place and so that you're always on the scanning the horizon to see, well, what could we be doing better and what might we be able to consider but not necessarily having to implement it, you know, in a week or a day or or a month's time, but a more thought out process um, beyond that. Does that make sense? And I think, like one of the things you said there was really interesting to me is that it is hard to turn turn the Titanic um, when it comes to to schools and and the 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 disconnection that happens with large groups of staff in a school, be it departments and be it sub schools. Um, and it's very hard to to yeah to move that ship. And I guess one of the things that I've probably done in my practice is to set to deliberately set up cross departmental or cross school design teams to actually do the thinking, to do the work without the constraints of departments and and you know, um, trying to drag people kicking and screaming to fast track work. And in some ways that is being agile. It is is saying, look, within this, this current structure, we're not going to get the kind of results in, in, a, in a quick fashion, but actually he might he might be a better way of bringing a group of people together um, to, to fast track something and then take it to those larger groups, those disparate groups that Luke described for input. And I think that's a very different ask of them and a very different part of the journey. Um, the, the other thing I'd probably say about a design team, I'm thinking about one I put together this week for fun. So this is like, it's real. I'm not like, I know I talk in, you know, I, I talk big picture, talk a big game. Um, but we had a, um, a, a piece of change coming into the school, a piece of tech. We needed some solutions pretty quickly and I needed to get a sense of it. And so I ran um, to three groups of people, put a team together. I selected them. The first group I selected were the haters, the people that I know that wouldn't love it like this. Why? Because they challenge you, they say no, and they make you work harder at finding the uh, best way forward. Number two, I found- I know who some of those people might have been, Matt, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, we'll, we'll play bingo later. Um, <laughs> the second group is that the champions. We know we've got champions, and I know there are people who are already playing with this tech, so I throw them into the room with the haters. And then the third people, which are your, your neutral sort of people that can be sort of swayed either way, but you know that they're the big group that you need to convince that this is a really good idea. And it's a group of six to eight people that represent, you know, a huge, um, you know, uh, diversity uh, of, of stakeholders to fast track 
uh, a piece of work. And I think that's a really good example of, of being agile, but also trying to address that need that it's very hard to turn the Titanic when you have so many disconnected silos uh, in your school. You can bring them into the conversation now. You can ask for their input, but you've got got someone else or another group of people sort of driving so it's just you know it's just a reflection of of of, um what agility potentially can look like in a school and look i i think that notion of turning the titanic is probably one of the best analogies that that represents schools um you know having worked with hundreds of schools now across many many years it is a fleet of ocean liners that that are just uh going on a journey they're all heading the same direction they just sometimes the the captains uh forget where the steering wheel is (laughs) So, you know, probably my last question for you both, um, and, and tying it back into into this notion of change and what's there. Often, from a technological change perspective, it's coming from an IT directive, or it's coming from people that are looking at systems and processes. But for both of you and your experiences, how do you refocus and put people at the center of that change? So, what is it that you do, uh, Matt? to put people at the center of that change. So I'm going to throw you in the in front of the the bus now and and let you think on that. Well, I took um well I'm just going to riff on it. Um for me <laughs> it's it's about the the anything that we do in our schools should be impactful. And and what I mean by that it should be about bettering outcomes for students. Um and you know center to 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 that notion of being impactful is our teachers doing their best work us having the best tech tools to support them in their work but also having the best tech tools to support learning full stop so if you come from a place of understanding what impact is and and your that mission and purpose driven part of a of a school and why you you exist i think you can very easily set a narrative around where where does the technology element sit here it's not the next shiny bit of blue paper that's up in the sky that we're all chasing no 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 we're here for impact and for, we're here for to to improve student outcomes so for me it's really it's it's about the narrative it's about positioning it and reminding people um and it gets right back to to where we started our conversation about the fear factor got to show how teachers see themselves in the tech and how that then contributes to that that impact that we've just been describing so um for me, I've, I've certainly been in schools where the tech has been the change, you know, the tech has been touted as the next impactful thing that we do. But I've equally been in schools where the impactful thing we're doing is improving student outcomes and tech's there to support it. And those narratives, two very different schools. And guess what? Two very different outcomes. And guess who's still not, who's now not using that tech that they introduced? And guess which school's still using the tech um, that, that they, they, they started to, to play around with? So th- that would be my, my philosophical view um, and, and one of, of narrative and being clear uh, about the impact and the role of technology to assist us in the outcomes that we seek. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually feel like I've got too much more to add to that. I, I mean, it's it, it's spot on in that you know if you're trying to put people at the center of 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 change and and why you're doing things, you know, there's probably two clear reasons why, and that's because you want to make things easier. You know, like for for either the staff, you're actually trying to make things easier for them so that their their capability or their capacity to do, um, you know, their job is better, you know, or, or easier um, and that you want to have a better outcome. And that's, you know, that's a better outcome for students, you know, on their learning journey and a better outcome for parents and teachers who are supporting them on that journey. Um, so for me, they're probably the two, two kind of core pieces to why you would try and put 
people at the center of of your experience. And I'd probably, I guess, just to kind of r- round things out, Dwayne, I'd, I'd probably say that one of one of the biggest impacts on change management is that notion of uh, as well that we haven't really touched on, but it's the notion that the change starts at the top that your leaders have to be fully bought into what the change is, that people have to hear it from a principal and a deputy regularly and meticulously that this is the direction that we're going on and that it's not just coming from an IT person once a term. It's actually, it filters all the way down from the top and that that those leaders are actually showing that they're also using the tech or the change platform uh, and that they're modelling the use of that change and that they're standing up and saying, this is what we're going to do and this is why we're going to do it. And so that it's it's a real kind of, I guess, a top-down approach to the why and the buy-in um, and that, you know, the actual groundswell then comes from the bottom up to ensure that the tech is, um, you know, it's delivering on its promise and it is actually making those two things, uh, which I mentioned earlier, it's either making it easier for people and it's also having a better outcome. Awesome. Thank you both for that. Look, it's it's definitely interesting when when thinking about that notion of, and Matt, I will go back to it, is putting the student at the center, the student learning. And, and Luke, you sort of back that up around designing that learning journey, putting the, you know, supporting teachers in hopefully moving some of those administrative burdens or those pieces that deflect and move them away from the core business that they're involved in, which is supporting students through that learning journey. Um, often, you know, we talk about from a tech standpoint, what's the purpose of technology inside schools? Well, the purpose is to support everyone in that community to get the best outcomes for students to help them through that journey. If the technology is not doing that, then we probably need to question, have we designed the technology right? Is the technology missing something in in that conversation? Um, And that often for us as a tech company is fundamental to, if we design a feature, it's made life harder for people. Was it the right feature or did we completely miss the idea and, and the mark? But look, thank you both for your insights today. It's It's been great to unpack and understand from your perspective, some of those experiences with technology, with change. You know, it's an ever evolving space. Schools are changing on a, on a daily basis and technology is ever evolving. We know that with, especially at the moment with a lot of disruptive tech coming to market, um, but it was great to, to get your insights. So thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Dwayne. It's been a pleasure. No worries.